Amen. Good morning, Antio. Pato uh, is right. Um, he is from the south of Trinidad. I am from the mountains in the north. And proper English has never been necessary while you're living in the mountains. But the Lord has humbled me that he sent me to an island whose usage of the English language is third. Their main language is Papiamento. Professionally, we use Dutch. And on occasion, they use English. And then for the fourth one, because they less love languages, they use Spanish as well. Uh, so I am learning <laughs> to enunciate my words properly. Problem is, as long as I don't watch my wife and she does not give me the side eye, <laughs> I may get a little excited and the mountain tree comes out. And so I apologize from now. I do uh, want to thank you all for trusting Pato enough uh, to allow me to speak this morning. Uh, he mentioned the height thing, and I'll tell you, the first Sunday that I showed up in San Nicolas, Aruba, a lady, poor lady did not know how whispering works. <laughs> she very loudly whispered, who sent this child here to preach to us? But I, I, I learned from a very, very young age that to compensate for my height, it's much better to stand on the word of God because no man stands taller than one who stands on the word. As much as in my teens, I thought 34 years old was old, some of you will look at me and say, I've been a Christian longer than you've been alive, young man, so don't worry. To compensate for my lack of age, I revert more to the experience of the scriptures for it is far older than every one of us in this place. I love food, as you can see. <laughs> I love coffee. And I joke about everything else in life except when it comes to ministry. Patterson uh, played down a little bit and I know it's because when you are long-winded, you are always mindful of your words. An introduction could become a sermon. But I do want to use this part of my, my sermon time uh, to explain to you that you are indeed blessed uh, to have Brother Patterson as your minister. The reason he and I know one another, uh, we met in Bible school, but you're actually talking about Naruto. That's, that's a story by itself. But prior to... Aruba, I ministered in Grenada. However, I came back from Grenada bitter, broke, unemployed, and homeless. I hated the church and I hated God even more because I wondered why would someone that gives their life in service to God end up in the way, in the situation that I was in. I hope Antioch is an honest church because you, you waste your time pretending to be holy if you plan to serve the Lord. And I sat in my room one night in my anger and in my rage, and I learned during that period of my life that 
you could never hate Jesus more than he loves you. And so when I gave up on ministry, I gave up on God, I, I wanted nothing to do with anybody and anything. The two most important people in my life showed up one night, and I was so angry that they came. That was Brother Patterson, and in the passenger seat was who would eventually be my wife, Sister Daniel. They picked me up, they carried me to where he ministered, and they helped me for a few years. Not get back into ministry, but get back into love of, of the word and love of God. Because I was hurt. Anybody ever been hurt by the church before? That's not a nice hurt. And so I, I, I count them as the people that God has used to bless me, to allow me to get back into ministry. As a matter of fact, the reason we are in Aruba is because of the faith of my wife. I was actually going to Canada to pick apples on a farm. Because one month into our marriage, I lost my job. And I don't know about you, but there is no, nothing more frustrated than having to rely on your wife's salary one month into marriage. You barely could enjoy the sweet phases of marriage. But God decided that Aruba is where we were called to be. And in 2018, we moved there. I know when everyone hears Aruba, no one ever takes me seriously because they said, well, it's Aruba. Clearly, that work is not that hard. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there it is. But I needed to understand that Aruba is not a very large island. From, it's 13 miles wide and 19 miles long if you've never been. It's not that big. Pretty sure the church takes up half of our island. But one thing I have learned is that the Aruba you know is the Aruba that the island uses to bring people in. You know the side that the tourists visit. You do not know the side that the locals live. When everyone hears Aruba, we think hotels, we think white sand beaches, we think pina coladas. What you do not think is the average person not being able to pay rent, pay their bills, spend our food, and do something nice for themselves. You have to choose at least two out of those things. You cannot have all. We started our work in 2018 to help revitalize the church because it was, as honest as I could make it, dying. The church found itself from 120 members to 20 when I first arrived. And members were, like me, hurt. And it's from that perspective I understand why God allowed me to experience Grenada, allowed me to meet and spend time with Pato to meet and spend time with Daniel and even have her join me because we have to deal with people who have been hurt. Aruba is not the missionary field that you go to build houses and build hospitals and orphans. And I love that because I think the church has confused the gospel, the, the mission of the gospel with humanitarian efforts. If we don't build a house, then we're not working. But you build a house and nobody actually comes to Christ. I know it doesn't look that pretty on a mission board, but Aruba is the place where we carry the gospel because people do not see the need for God because we're too busy with life. In 2019, we found out that the building that we are worshiping in was 
uh, the roof of it was falling down. As it is, we cannot worship in it anymore because half of the roof has um, fallen. Although everything is still up, half of the roof has dropped and the rest of it is just a matter of time. So we no longer worship in our building. We started doing different things and we started raising funds and then everyone knows what happened in the year 2020. And while you all were fighting over toilet paper and whether or not COVID was real, Aruba shut its borders and 90% of our members and pretty much all of our community were completely unemployed because all of us work in the tourism industry. We had a feeding program that we started that was aimed at feeding 30 people in our community that we knew were suffering more than most. And so we gathered food and we cooked and three days a week we fed them only to realize that there were far more than 30 people who were suffering. Because our resources are so limited, we partnered with a charity and we had a sign up and 500 people showed up who that when you investigate, they were not bringing in anything. And so with a falling building, we had over 500 people to feed. And I don't know about you, but Jesus did not die for brick and mortar. Amen, if you're brave enough. And so we had to put the building aside because there were people in need. Aruba, if you did not know, is uh, and has been for quite some time a drug hub. And where it was just a thing going on around the frustration and depression that COVID brought had a rise in people overdosing and people using of various substances. We got a file and while going through it, I had to stop and go for a walk and come back because while we were going through that file, there were children as young as 13 years old with heroin in their system. Substance abuse has become such a large problem and no one knows what to do and everyone is comfortable by saying, just get your act together. But the moment you and I become honest with mental health, we realize telling somebody who is depressed to not be depressed doesn't actually work. So we started a rehab program and we call it Hands of Hope. To date, we have been successful in helping five people stay clean for more than a year. This program is one where we donate uh, food and clothing. We love food, by the way, if you, you'll see that is a constant thing. We, don we cook food, we donate clothes as members as bringing what they have. And once every month we go out into the community and we pack up in uh, the most dangerous part of the neighborhood and we try our very best to get people to come. We share food, we share clothes. Um, at some part we are even sharing um, the ability to get a haircut, to take a shower. It was a full uh, uh, change of a person. And then in that moment we share the gospel and then we share the advice on helping them into rehabilitation. This program is growing but this program has met the feeding program, and the feeding program has met people who are trying to get back on track after COVID, and that has met a falling building. 
And so one of the reasons my wife and I are in the States and one of the reasons um, Patswana and I have been talking is because we are reaching out and I love the ir ironic nature of the name of your church, Antioch. But we are reaching out to our brothers, our sister congregations for assistance in the work in Aruba. I know uh, it takes more than what I'm doing to convince your heart, but I do want you to at least consider this. You and I have been blessed by God to do two things with our life, to enjoy it and to share it. It's why nothing that we have, the Bible ever says is ours, he always talks about us being stewards of what we have. And so one of the reasons we are here is simply to start that conversation of how Aruba and Antioch may, if it ever be, work together. I hope everyone understood me. Yeah? Good. For the next five minutes, will you join me in the book of Exodus? To be more specific, I'm going to ask you to meet me in chapter 14 and verse number one. And I do want to thank you for giving me your undivided attention. In Exodus chapter number 14 and verse number one, I would love for you to read uh, through it, follow with me. Uh, through the first 13 verses, as I believe there is quite a relatable message in here for each and every one of us. I know everyone tends to jump down to uh, 13 and, 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 and 14 because every Easter we watch the Ten Commandments movie, but it's important to know what leads up to Moses' statement. In verse number one, I'm, I'm, I'm a New American Standard Bible guy, and all that may mean to you is that the words of the text may be different, but I guarantee you the message will be the same. So eyes in your Bible and your ears on me. The Bible says this. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell the sons of Israel to turn back and camp before Pi Hararoth, between Migdal and the sea. You shall camp in front of Baal Zephon opposite it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say to the sons of Israel, they are wandering aimlessly in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. Verse number four says, thus I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will chase after them. And I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Verse number five says, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his servants had a change of heart toward the people. And they said, what is this we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made his chariot ready and took his people with him. And he took 600 select chariots and the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he chased after the sons of Israel uh, as the sons of Israel were going on boldly. Verse number 9 says, The Egyptians chased after them with all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and they overtook them, camping by the sea beside Pi Hararot in front of Baal Zephon. As Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? 
Why have you dealt with us in this way? Bringing us out of Egypt, is this not the word? And pay attention to verse number 12. You're going to read it over, but pay attention to verse number 12. They argue, says, is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. And if you don't mind, verse number 14 just says, the Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. If that is in your Bible, you can say amen. For a few short moments, I want to remind you of a text. I'm pretty sure if you, uh, as I mentioned, if you watch any Christian movie on Easter, you will know the Ten Commandments movie. As a matter of fact, I am a bit of a heretic in the Christian space because I've never seen that movie a day in my life. Uh, I know it's crazy, right? Uh, but, but the reality is, this is a very famous and very important uh, aspect of Israel's journey. Because this is where God is going to do something that is far more powerful. Everyone here knows what comes next, amen? The parting of the Red Sea. But prior to all of that, there is something that I really want you to consider. One of them is, God intentionally told Israel, verse number one, eyes in your Bible, ears on me. In verse number one, when the Lord spoke to Moses, he intentionally tells Israel, turn back. Is that in your Bibles? Or turn around. Israel had a clear path to the wilderness. But one of the beauty, beautiful things about the Exodus story is that this story was not about Israel escaping Egypt. And I want to consider this for two seconds. If this story was about Israel escaping Egypt, why does God need 10 signs to do it? Why does my God, who has the capacity to speak something out of nothing into existence need 10 signs or 10 tries to do it. As a matter of fact, if you were to read the Bible slower than I, I speak, you would realize that God barely addresses Israel in this entire narrative. As a matter of fact, it's only when he gets down to uh, uh, plague number nine does he tell them, pay attention to what I'm about to do. Because this story is not about Israel escaping Egypt. This story is about Israel learning their relationship with God. Because what God does not want is for him to free his people and his people do not consider the importance of their freedom. Because what will tend to happen, it will be like my dog. I have the most beautiful dog on earth and her name is Bella. Bella has to be tied. I'm sorry for those who hate tying dogs, but I have to tie Bella. The reason I have to tie Bella is because the one time Bella found out how to untie herself. And while poor brother Randy is in, uh, in front of the hardware going into his bus, a very intoxicated fellow walks up to me and says, Sir, your dog bit me on my way to the shop. Because my poor dog, Bella, does not understand that when she is free, there is a particular way she needs to act. My dog does not know how to act when she is free. 
When my dog is, is free, my dog thinks jumping on a person is a good idea. And my dog does not realize the damage that she could cause by jumping on random people. My dog also does not understand that those who are walking in front of my house are not my enemy because I try very hard not to make enemies. I love to eat too much in strangers' house for me to be enemies with people, but my dog does not understand that. Every person that passes in front of my house, my dog interprets it herself as this is an enemy I need to bite. And before you tell me, Randy, Bill, uh, why don't you build a proper fence? Sir or lady, I travel to the United States looking to raise money for a roof. I have no money for a fence. <laughs> Bella desires freedom. But she does not know what to do when she is free. God desires to free Israel. But he knows Israel will not know what to do once they are free. Because between Joseph, uh, sorry, between, uh, yes, between Joseph and the tribes of Israel, to Moses, you have a good 400 years and this Israel does not know God the way they knew God. As a matter of fact, if I had the time and if, if this was a Reuben, somebody didn't say Randy five minutes over in Antioch, I would actually take you back to the Bible earlier parts of this chapter where Moses comes to Pharaoh and Moses tells Pharaoh, God said let his people go. Pharaoh said no. Moses repeats himself and says, listen, I was minding my business. This is the Randall Standard Version. He says, I was minding my business and God just happened to fall on me. And if you do not let us go, he is going to bring the sword and he's going to bring a pestilence against us. Moses is frightened that before God starts giving him the, telling him to go out and, 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 and uh, express the various plagues, God pulls Moses aside and tells Moses, Abraham, Isaac, and uh, Jacob knew me as El Shaddai, but you are going to know me as Yahweh or Adonai. Because what God wanted Israel to understand is that this, this, this freedom narrative was actually about how God was going to create a relationship with his people, and these people needed to know what does God look like once I'm free. Because I know what God looks like when I'm a sinner. When I am a sinner, God looks like this giant creature with a whip on my back that every single time I don't get Friday evening right, I am in trouble. That's why I'm not the only person that sometimes I feel comfortable, uncomfortable taking communion because I remember what I did Tuesday gone. Squeeze your toes, nobody will see that one. I don't need the amen face. Squeeze your toes, nobody will see it. I just needed to be honest for two seconds. Israel is told by God, turn around. And he sends them into an area that he knows they are going to be stuck. He intentionally puts them uh, where they currently are. And he said, this is what is going to happen. Pharaoh is going to think that you all don't know what you are doing. He says, I'm going to use this to harden his heart and he's going to chase after you. And when he does that, I am going to ensure him and all of Egypt honors me. 
Here's the crazy thing, though. Paul is writing a letter to the Corinthians, and he needs to explain to them a very important principle in Christianity. And in order for him to explain that principle in Christianity, in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10 from verse 1, uh, all the way down um, to, well, to, to be honest, to verse number 5, but the first three verses he's going to tell them, I do not want you to be ignorant. I need you to understand Israel was baptized on this day. He says they were walking through the water and there was a cloud above them. That was Israel's baptism. That was their freedom day. But the reason he uses this as an example is because he gets to verse number four and he gets to verse number five and he says, although all of them made it out of Egypt, not all of them made it to the promised land. Because here is the problem with, it, with, with, with what you and I think tend to, tend to overread because you want to get down to the stand fast part of the, of the story. The Red Sea part is the exciting part of the narrative. These first 13 verses are a bit boring, you know what I mean? But this is where we are this morning. Here's the thing. The Bible is going to do this wonderful and very, very interesting thing with it. It is going to explain to you that in verse number 7, if, if I still have your attention, in verse number 7 and verse number 8, it is going to explain to you that God really wanted to free Israel. He wanted Israel to understand, not verse, sorry, in Exodus chapter 3 verse 7 and verse number 8, my apologies. This is where he tells Moses, I heard the cry of the people and I have come to, to free them. In case you are wondering, was, were they not crying for 400 years? I need you to understand that this cry is not a cry of physical pain. Israel was not in physical pain. This is a cry of the spirit. It is a very special Hebrew word that speaks to a person crying inwardly. And it is based on, a, on, 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 on Hebrew sages' doctrine that teach this is a cry not of words, but a cry of the Spirit, and the cry that throughout Scripture God immediately responds to. This is the cry that distinguished Hannah's prayer, even though every single year she was going up with her husband and she was praying for a baby, this one that is recorded, this was the one where her spirit cried out to God. Israel for 400 years has not cried out like this yet. Hence the reason Moses says, God said, I finally heard their spirit speak. Because all I've been hearing before were their voices. All I was hearing before were complaints. I finally heard their spirit speak. And so God had a desire to free Israel. But what I beg you to see here, church, is that uh, where, where our main text is, you are going to find that as much as God had a desire and God had a heart to free Israel, according to verse number 12, eyes in your Bible, ears on me, the text says, is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt saying, leave us alone? God had a heart to free Israel, but Israel did not have a heart to be freed by God. The only person that wanted freedom here was God. Israel was cool. And before you start thinking, well, how could people who are in 400 years of slavery, that's because you're very American and you have your own slavery to deal with, uh, own history to deal with. My apologies. This is not that. Israel lived in Goshen. 
Goshen is found and to be understood as one of the richest lands in all of, not just Mesopotamia, but in all of the world. It's one of the richest and best places to be. You are going to find that the only time Israel begins complaining about their, their work is when Moses tried to free them. He says, leave us alone. We are comfortable where we are. Yes, we are subjugated to somebody else, but they are allowing us to live in the best place. Yes, things are tough, but life is tough. But we know where our meals are coming from. We have a steady thing going here. What God is calling me for is not freedom, it's discomfort. Because what is comfortable and what has become life is what I currently have, and I ain't even have it that bad. There are people who had it worse. So where God wanted freedom for them, Israel did not. The story is not just about freeing Israel, so it's about a relationship. Because Israel needs to try to understand why does this God want us so much that they're willing to put us through all this stress. Andrea Church, if you don't mind, being honest for two seconds. You don't need to be honest with me again. Squeeze your toes, nobody will see it. But one of the things that we do as Christian people without thinking, you, you actually have to be intentional not to do this, is to be baptized, find yourself in church, and find yourself in a rhythm. Once you get that rhythm, your Christianity tends to move a little bit smooth. This one I want you to be honest. Anybody ever feel uncomfortable missing Sunday morning worship? Anybody? I, I hope I'm not the only person. But for some reason, when I miss Sunday morning worship, I just feel uncomfortable. Once you and I get into our rhythm, what we tend to not realize is that we have opened up ourselves for the enemy to mess us up because all he has to do is mess up your rhythm. That's why a whole lot of time we have a problem with the church and have the time the problem we have with the church is not even biblical. It's just messing up our rhythm. So I'll give you this. Aruba and Grenada won't be the only places. I'm sure Patterson told you Aruba, Trinidad has 40 congregations on it and there's four over in the sister isle of Tobago. And I have ministered to quite a few of them. And I can tell you this, that the most amazing thing was to see that a Sunday morning people could not worship properly because the preacher decided to put communion after the sermon. Now be careful what they meant. People could not worship. One man said we did not have worship. Because my poor brother Andy showed up that day and I do tend to not have scripture reading because scripture reading was a thing. I didn't have scripture reading and the man said, so we can't have church. What is messed up is your rhythm. Your rhythm has no logic because your rhythm is relatable to you and you alone. And so what the devil has the ability to do is to catch some of us the easiest way. That's why we fight in church and then we leave God. It's because somebody in church messed up our rhythm. And so here's what the text does. God is going to put Israel in a place that is going to challenge their rhythm. 
He's going to put them in a place that is going to challenge them, that, that what they're accustomed to is going to say, I'm going to remove it from you, and I'm going to give you freedom. But could you believe Israel hated the freedom because the freedom messed up their rhythm? So Paul says, you and I have to be very careful not to make the same mistake. He says, they are examples for us. Because what they would always do was complain. Let me explain this to you. Because the Psalms exist, God has no problem with you bringing your frustrations to him, else David would be in trouble. But God's problem seems to always be is when you and I always approach God with a complaint as if he does not know what he's doing. The difference between that and bringing your complaints to God is, 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 is one saying, God, I am frustrated right now, so, so I need your help because I don't want to act on my frustration. That's different. Israel is in this place where they now have to deal with the fact that God is, is, is putting them in this position and they come out to Moses and they tell Moses, listen, we did not want to be here to begin with. You and I now have to consider, do we actually want where God is taking us? Because I guarantee you it's different to what you and I are accustomed to. You all make fun of Thomas so much, you start calling him Doubting Thomas. But Thomas said some of the most truest and realest things in all of Scripture. When God told him, we are, are you going to prepare a place? Thomas said, I have no idea where that is. It's the most realest apostle I've ever seen. Because the truth of the matter is, you and I have no idea where God is taking us. You and I have no idea what heaven is going to be like. So let me, let me, let me help you out here. There's another squeeze those moment because the lesson almost finished. I know your toes will be hurting by the time you finish with Brother Randy. Here's the thing. There are people that Brother Patterson baptizes that are difficult to love. You've tried. But it's not the easiest people to love and to get along with. I tell you, squeeze your toes, not shake your head. I see him all shaking all the head. Squeeze your toes. You and I have to realize that because everyone is made in the image and the likeness of God, you and I have to consider whether or not you and I actually like the person of Jesus Christ when we actually meet him. Because here is the thing, you and I have no idea if Jesus is going to be like somebody you are comfortable being around. Because what we have done in church is that we have met people that we don't like so much, and so what we do is we distance ourselves from them as much as possible. But you and I don't even consider sometimes that if I have to get to heaven with this person, is your plan for the rest of eternity to stand on one side of God's throne while they are on another? Is your plan to ignore that person here and ignore them in heaven too? What happens that when you reach up, Jesus is like that person? You and I do not know where God is taking us. And we are not sure if we will like it. And so what God did to Israel is God intentionally put them in a place where they can learn about him. This is your lesson here. 
Do not try to leave where God is placing you. Because where you currently are, God needs you to learn something for the rest of your journey. Because you do not know your journey. So God knows that he has to put you around some unlovable people. Because in 2025, there are some people that you are not going to like that is only going to be converted by your lesson. So Israel is told by God, turn around. Because today you are going to learn who I am to you. It wasn't just about the baptism. It was taking out of Israel what verse number 12 said, the truth. Because up to this point, nobody's come out and tell Moses, didn't we tell you we don't want to go? So he has to put them here because he needs to get that out because that did not belong in the wilderness. And even more so, it did not belong in the promised land. So let me give you one more lesson. It's yours because this is the longest five minutes of your life. <laughs> My wife warned me. She said, listen, be careful these American churches because they like to get out for lunch at 12. They will fight you if it means that they will miss their favorite seat in the restaurant. So she was like, love, be careful. I understand. I understand. Verse number 13, if you don't mind. I'll give you one more lesson is yours. In verse number 13, the Bible says, but Moses said to the people, he said, do not fear. Stand by and see. You all see that? Good. One of the beautiful things about this is that this, is, this text is, is, is able to read, stand up and pay attention. And I love that. I love the, the stand up and pay attention one. Because it says there are things in our life that God does not want us to miss. That God will not act out something unless we pay attention. That when the Bible says be sober and be vigilant, it's because God needs to be sure that when he does something great in your life, you don't miss it. That you don't get so busy with your life that God is here busy trying to work out your life and you miss it. So what I love the standby is that it, it, it translates so much better as stand up and pay attention because what God is about to do, you need to see it. And so here's what he does here. Moses telling them, stand up and see the salvation of the Lord. He says, this is what he's going to do for you. The Egyptians that you have seen today, you will never see them again. I'll give you two things and the lesson is yours. The first thing that he does here is he allows Israel to understand because your enemy has appeared, you need to realize how great that actually is for your life. Because the appearance of your enemy means that God is next to you ready to fight. You and, I get, you and I find ourselves in frustration and you and I find ourselves in headache and in, in, in pain and in suffering and we complain to God and God is saying, because the devil was brave enough to knock on your door this morning, he is the one who is going to open it. And so when he tells them, pay attention, it is because God is saying, or rather Moses is saying, one of the most beautiful things about your enemy appearing in front of you is that you are going to get to see God work. Because if we're honest for two seconds, we cannot remember the last time we experienced God properly. Fine, squeeze your toes, nobody will say amen. <laughs> 
He comes and he tells them. Because he's, the enemy is here. And sure that we have a saying. You don't throw stone at an empty tree. The enemy's appearance in your life does not signal that God is, has forsaken you. It doesn't even forsaken that you are doing something wrong. What it means is that the enemy is seeing something in your life that is too spiritual for you. That if you were to cultivate it, he is going to have a harder time getting you. And so when the enemy appears in your life, you and I need to stand and pay attention because there is something in me that God is saying the devil is trying to get and that is what I will address. Why do you think that the moment I ask God, teach me Lord how to love more, all you keep meeting is unlovable people? I know in Church of Christ in Trinidad and Aruba, I don't know if it's the same here, but the one thing we're afraid to pray for is patience. Matter of fact, I think the prayer for patience is banned in most churches. Because the moment we ask God for patience, problems. The appearance of the enemy in your life, church, is something to actually rejoice about because it means if I could just pay attention to what is going on in this situation, I will actually get to see God. The second one is that Moses tells them, you will never see your enemy again. You know what I love about that? By God telling Israel to turn around, God does two things for Israel. One, he actually eliminates their enemy. Because had they gone the original path, and Pharaoh had changed his mind like he did, he would have caught them in the wilderness. And unless God was ready to do to Israel what he did to, 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 to Og, Israel would have found themselves being distressed by Egypt in the wilderness. So what God did is God put them in a place where he was going to permanently deal with their problems. This is why I love and I struggle with my God. Israel's mind is, let's get to the promised land. And God is saying, that plan for your life is too temporary. For whatever reason, God tends to prefer permanent fixes for my life rather than addressing my temporary pain. I want God to deal with what happened to me Monday. And God is saying, I need to make sure that you are okay for 2023. And so what God does is God ensures Egypt will never be a problem for the rest of their journey. The second thing he does is that he ensured that Egypt could just talk about going back, but they could never actually do it. By destroying the Egyptians in the Red Sea, Israel no longer has the ability to return to Egypt. That's why for the rest of your readings, you are going to find that they keep saying, why don't we just go back? But anybody realize nobody actually ever went back? 
by destroying the Egyptians in the Red Sea, God protected Israel from Egypt in two ways. One, he saved them from the destruction of Egypt, and two, he saved Israel from returning to Egypt. And to make this applicable for you, that's what baptism was supposed to do. Baptism was supposed to close you off from the realm of the enemy. It wasn't just about washing your sins. You, you and I are always going to fight with sins. What this was was ensuring that the enemy does not have that old power over your life. This wasn't just about you living good. You and I use the 30 years or 33 years of Jesus' life to learn how to live good. So we had that already. What Jesus did for us, and what Jesus has gifted us in baptism, is that he has ensured the enemy does not have his old power and influence over us. And you and I are on a one-way journey. There is no going back for you and I. But be very careful, because there is destruction along the way. Because all of Israel left Egypt. All of Israel was saved from the slave of sin and the slave of their master. But not all Israel made it to their promised land. You and I have the opportunity to enter into Christ, to be granted, as Scripture says, eternal life. But don't ever sleep on the fact that you are also given the ability to live and to follow God. And so why Paul uses Exodus in helping the Corinthians stay faithful is because one of the most beautiful things about this text is that Israel found themselves, or you and I rather find ourselves in a place where we have to realize God is attempting to cut me off from my past life. So I have no reason to be threatening him with it. I have no reason to go back to it because there is nothing back there for me. You and I are called to press on. Because God desires to save us. And something that I really want you to consider within your heart, and you know exactly what to do when you come up with the right answer, but something I want you to consider, do you actually want to be saved by God? Because God's saving grace is not designed to give you temporary pleasures along your way. God's saving grace says he is going to deal with the pharaohs and the satans of your life. He is going to address your career because maybe that didn't line up with his will properly. He is going to address some of your relationships because you forget that your relationship was supposed to honor God. He's going to turn your house upside down and all of a sudden the moment you start talking Jesus with your children, your children no longer wants to speak to you. He's going to address those things. He's not just going to help you deal with the Mr. or Mrs. across the hall from you while you're working. He's not going to, give, he's not going to struggle with those small things. He'll deal with it too, don't, don't get me wrong. But God is trying to get you to a place that he knows full well you're not prepared for. And so the question that I leave with you this morning is that as much as God has that desire to save you, do you have a desire to be saved 
by God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for your, your time and for your attention. I believe you have a moment of prayer, and so I will pass you back to your minister to conduct that. Thank you.